You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. But I want to talk about what's going to happen or happening for the next, let me count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks. Uh, The kind of things we're going to talk about where we're going in a couple of series we're doing. And so it's just going to come up behind us soonish. Miriam's just swapping it over. I can tell you about the next two weeks. We're going to talk about God's presence today and next week. And then we're going to enter what I call a DNA series uh, where we talk about what does a church even do? What do we actually do? Besides meet here on a Sunday, what is our job? <laughs> What's our purpose of existing? And so uh, we have these statements we use. You would have heard if you've been here a little while. We gather, we grow, we go and we give. And I want to unpack those Lots of questions as we have lots of new people here at the church and lots of people that have experienced change here at the church asking, what do we do? Well, what what does a church do? If it's a body of Christ, a body of believers, what does that body do? And so hopefully we can start to explore that through our DNA series and um, and go through that. So if you're not able to come, that's okay. But can I ask that when you come, you possibly bring an exercise book and take notes Not that we want it to feel like a uni lecture, but having a healthy understanding means taking home, um, home, like not homework, what a horrible way to put it. I've heard it say like a a, uh, takeaway bag. If you're getting fed, take some to eat at home. Um, So let's use that. That sounds much nicer than homework. Um, So take some home, have a think about it, and if you miss it, I can get you a CD or you can podcast it. Um, And that's not because I feel that my preaching needs to be heard every week. (laughs) It's because I really believe in what we're talking about over the next seven weeks is really important to this church understanding what a church even does biblically. So um, that's where we're going. Please be praying for that. So there's this image given in both, and I'll, I'll get you to put the image up, Miriam. There's an image in both those texts that were just shown, a tree. And I, I actually got this image given to me when I first started here at Burley from someone. They said they saw a tree. And it's also in the Bible. (laughs) It's taught in the Bible. And uh, actually, about a year ago, someone else gave it to a passage about a tree to this church. And so those three things combined, I think God wants to speak to us about trees this morning and this idea that a tree produces things when it's healthy. It grows fruit and flowers, I like to say. Spiritual fruit and flowers that show that the tree is blooming, draws people over to it. Uh, We know the fruit is explained in the Bible as when a church is working, when a person is growing, they produce love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If the people of church, if God's church produce these things, if each of us grew in these things every week, we actually wouldn't need to do much as a church because Burley Heads, Varsity and Abroad would be buzzing because there's these people in the community that are ever more loving, ever more kind, ever more gracious and people would want to know where on earth they're getting that fruit from. We would be light posts for our community. And uh, that's what we want to talk about over the next few months. But there's a danger, you see, before we get to that, there's a danger 
in producing this fruit. And I want to show, and it's shown in those passages, I believe, by the next picture. Who knows what's happening here? Abe. Alice of Wonderland, Queen of Hearts is coming, and so her minions, <laughs> the clubs, are quickly, because she likes red, they're painting the roses red quickly to make sure it looks nice for the Queen of Hearts. How often do we, in a sense, do this in church community, in life? I, I do. I, I, we, we, we're quick to do stuff. We're really quick to make sure we look a certain way. Quick. God wants flowers, we'll paint the flowers on us. God wants fruit, we'll stand there and pick up fruit and just stand there and look like we produce it. We have churches that produce a ministry for every single thing alive. Quick, we need a ministry for, um, uh, what are this couple of things? We need a ministry for people that ride horses. We need a ministry for ladies and men and, and the poor, which is fantastic. We need, a, we need a ministry for people that play video games or do karate or for clowns that work in a circus. Quick, we need to do, 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 do so that we look good and we produce fruit. And we work ourselves silly trying to save people. And we think it's about being busy. Nowhere in the Bible does it reward busyness, sorry. <laughs> Certainly not laziness, don't get me wrong, it doesn't condone laziness. But there are verses and verses and verses about this up on our wall, <laughs> being still. I heard a pastor recently say, there's only one person described in the Bible as busy. Satan and his demons. I think it's a funny saying. I don't know we need to base a whole theology on it, but it's an interesting statement. I looked, up, um, I looked that up and actually he's wrong. Martha is the other one. In fact, we have a God that invented Sabbath rest. How's that? He, he, he commanded his people, you better rest once a week. Doing good is good, but we can be so quick to do things and make it an appearance, quickly put on a tie, Say the right words in the right order. Praying with the most religious words we know. Making sure that when we do God's work, people are seeing us do it. Even sometimes going to church. Jesus actually calls the Pharisees out on this. He says, he says it's like a cup where you clean the outside, but the inside's still filthy. That's not to judge us this morning. It's to say, before we start talking about what churches do, let's actually remember how we healthily grow. Let's not end like this tree picture that I've got, that when the storm came, big tree, what's it missing? It's got like these little tidy roots for a big tree. And so the storm comes, it falls over. It leaves upset. It burns out. It has enough, you hear this all the time, I've had enough of Christian community, I'm tired, I'm done. It burns out. John 15 says this. This is Jesus' words to us. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Question, how much does this verse, that verse say that we can do apart from God? Is it a little bit? <laughs> it's nothing. It's a pretty certain amount that apart from him, we run in danger of doing nothing. This verse isn't meant to belittle you. It's, not meant, it's just meant to remind us this morning of who gives you the air in your lungs. Who's caused you to be born in this time and this era in today's culture? Who has given you the personality and the gifts that you hold? Who wants to shape you and see you reach your potential for the kingdom? It's the creator God. So as we as a body, a fellowship, are going to grow and produce things together, we need to know how to grow our roots deep. So I've got a second picture there of the, of the tree being equally as rooted as it is growing out. And the next one, connecting in with the living water. One of my most favourite passages at the moment is this. Let me read. There's a fair bit of Bible in this morning. really want to paint this theology in this picture before we start getting into the details. Roots in living water. Let me read this passage. It's from Job 14, 7 to 9. Job, they say, is the oldest, not in the narrative, Genesis is the beginning, but Job is the oldest recorded book they can find, the original copy of. It's an ancient, ancient, ancient book. Job 14, 7, 9 says this, At least there is hope for a tree if it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new roots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Love that. He paints his picture of a dried up stump that's falling apart and dying. All it needs is to smell water, <laughs> the scent of water. All the church needs, all the Christian needs is the scent of the living water and it breeds new life. Amen? So that's what we're talking about this morning, the scent of living water, God's pursuit of presence in your life. God's pursuit of presence in your life. So let me take you through the history this morning and how much God has pursued presence in your life. So let's start at the beginning. Genesis 3. Let me read this. Manny's wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and says, where are you? Most of you, if you don't know, come and have a chat to me. If you don't know the Genesis story, most of you know Adam and Eve, they sin, they rebel. And then in other versions, it says they were hiding from God's presence. They're hiding, they're ashamed, they know something's wrong. Sums up the human situation today. At some point, man and woman walked away from God. I love the image, it says, the cool of the afternoon. There was a time in the earth's history where man and women in the cool of the afternoon walked with God, knew their purpose, knew who they were fully, knew who they were created for, rested 
created, worked in the garden, but it was easy. Knew what on earth they were there for. And they rejected that. We had peace in who we were. Wisdom through our creator. That longing and feeling that you feel like on Monday morning (laughs) or any other day, maybe it's a Friday afternoon where you're just exhausted, that things aren't complete in your life, that you need more, especially if you don't have Jesus, if you're missing something, that you need to fill it, become or do, that wasn't there back then. And once we rejected God, we created a void between us and God, hiding ourselves from God's overwhelming presence. And ultimately, for the rest of the generations, looking back, it doesn't matter how much structure we put in, doesn't matter how much internet we have, doesn't matter what career or education, it actually doesn't matter. Time and time again, people in the church and outside the church will say, it's still for nothing, it's meaningless. And Christians know it's meaningless without God. This is actually one of the biggest proofs of God for me, personally. Have you ever noticed society has this relentless pursuit to create utopia? Why? If we are just stardust that formed itself accidentally, we should just want to survive. We shouldn't have an image of a perfect world. We shouldn't have a longing for world. It's, it's a classic line. I don't know when you see the, the, the supermodels. I want world peace. But deep inside of us, well, why do we want that? If we are just surviving, if we are just moving on as a species, why do we long for a place and a time that was perfect? I believe because in our bones, in our soul, in all men and women is this call for eternity, for walking in the afternoon with God in our purpose. One of the things that drives me to faith is how much society wants this but doesn't know what they want. Tangent over, let's keep moving. So we separate ourselves from God in Genesis. And then God continually comes along for the next 4,000 years. Well, actually starting from where I'm going to start in Abraham, 4,000 years, and keeps longing to be present in our life. He starts before that, but I'm going to start with Abraham. So then he meets this guy in Abraham in Genesis 7. Let me read that. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. So humans have rejected God, and God says, all right, I'll start a family. I'll have one generation, one family that have multiple generations that will live in the presence of God. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make a business deal with you, essentially. And how they did business deals <laughs> 4,000 years ago is they cut animals in line. So you remember Brett's the half of a lion, and Isabel's the other half, and Abe, and, so, and they'd walk through the animals. It's a bit barbaric. 4,000 years ago, God meets us where we are. And he has this deal because other cultures, and Abraham knows this deal. I'll walk through there with you, Abraham. And if you break the deal, so I'm walking through with John. If John breaks the deal, 
he knows as he looks at the half animals cut up, that's what I'll do to him. And I know if I break the deal, that's a very good picture of what will happen to me. And so there's this fear, but they're making what they call a covenant. It says, how's this? God puts Abraham to sleep and his presence goes through. And Abraham wakes up and he goes, oh, the deal's done. As if to say 4,000 years later, you can't plan this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. 4,000 years later, you're going to consistently break the deal, Abraham, and it's going to cost me. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be cut up. We'll get to that in a moment. But Abraham breaks the deal. Abraham's kids break the deal. Abraham's family continually breaks the deal. Keep going. God pursues presence. He goes, all right, well, I'm going to keep pursuing. I've made a promise to this family. This family becomes a nation and they get trapped by Egypt. And we've covered this. We've been looking through Exodus. Lots of stories in between, but I'm picking out some of them today. And here's a conversation he has with this Moses. He says this in Exodus 3, 4. Now, this has become a family now. They're trapped by the Egyptians. God says this to one of their guys, Moses. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. He said, do not come near, take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He said, remember this God that keeps showing up and wanting to be present in your life. That's me. That's me. That's me. Here I am again. Let's take five. Let's try this again, Moses. This time I'm going to rescue you out and give you a land and a place and I'll be present with you again. Exodus 19.5 says this. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God doesn't just want an exclusive family that have all the cool stuff. <laughs> like a kid in your school that gets everything he wants and brings it to school. He doesn't want Christians to be that. He actually wanted his family to then broadcast his presence to the whole nation so that these other tribes, the other nations would look over to God's nation and say, we want in. We're doing the wrong thing. We want more of that God's presence. That was God's plan and still is his plan all along for the whole world to know his love and his presence. And Israel was a different nation. When the rest of the world was sacrificing babies to bring rain <laughs> from God, Israel was having festivals and being made to take days off and trust in God. In fact, they built this structure shown in Exodus 25 where God says, I'm going to put up a tent that you can move with. And what's the tent represent? the presence of God. And so there's all these construction plans in the Bible showing that he asked these people, this nation, at the centre of them to have the presence of God. It even gets cooler because you look at the construction of it, and I don't have time to go into the details to this morning, but you go into the deep details of this tent and it's made to look like a garden. 
It's got fruit trees. It's got things that represent the two rivers that flow through the garden. God's saying, all right, you left the garden, the presence of God. I'll put the garden in the middle of you. You'll be my people. I want to be and grow and see this nation become a lighthouse for all other nations. They build this tent. I'll read this one. I'm skipping through some of these, some of these passages, but Exodus 33, 12 says it perfectly. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He's trying to remind God as if God would forget. He said, remember the promises you made? You can imagine God just going, seriously, have you know how many times we've tried this with you guys? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. God again wanting to be stirring and present amongst his people. Guess what humans do? You don't get a Fredo for this. I don't have any chocolates because you probably can guess. The nation rejects it and walks away. They break the covenant time and time again. The next best season is when they actually find land, they've got their land, and they de- demand a king of God, even though the prophets at the time say, you don't want a king, you've got God's presence. Humans make mistakes. You don't want to put one of those in charge. They ask nicely, God gives them a king, and they have a temple, now a permanent fixture of the presence of God and they have this character called King David who wrote the passages we just spoke about. David wrote the entire Psalms. He knew there was something about God and his presence that was worth writing an entire songbook about. He says this in Psalms 139.7, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? David knows there's this relentless pursuit that even in his bad times, God is trying to be present in his life. One of my favourite stories, which I shared with the worship team before this morning, is that they, they want to take God's presence with them so they have the Ark of the Covenant, which is this box they carry with them when they travel or go into war. Now, because they always break the covenant, the enemy steals it. And they know it's worth something because when they have it, things are going really well. They steal it back and David sees it enter the kingdom and he dances in his courtyard. So joyful is this idea of the presence of God returning that he dances in his robe. So much dancing that Saul, the previous king's daughter, sees him dance and says, David, how dare you, you're a king. You're a man of God. Don't you know that when you were dancing in your robe, things we didn't want to see were seen? As if to say he wasn't wearing much under the robe. David replies, I wasn't dancing for you. I was dancing for God. He didn't care who saw the king, the most prestigious role in that nation, he was dancing because the presence of God had returned to their city. I told our worship band that this morning because I said, it's not about you guys. They know that. Sing to God. Worship him. 
I love that story. David came unstuck later in life. We know this story yet again and again. I could probably get you to tell me it. The family stuffed up. They suffered from it time and time again. People forgot what they had in God and they rejected it. Mostly because there was this bondage they had where sin kept pulling them out, pulling them back. And so here we go to the final last two stories this morning. God, constantly seeking present with his people, says, almost, fine, I'll do it myself. Now, it wasn't, he didn't just decide that. He'd planned that since the beginning of time. He wanted his people to grow and learn. We know this because he's about to do the exact thing that he made a covenant with Abraham with. He walked amongst us as a man. No other religion, no other God lays that claim. He walked amongst us as a man and then to break this cycle, to break this bondage that kept tempting us back out of the presence, that kept bringing death, not life, he gives his life to break, to break the chain, to break the wheel, to break the cycle and let us allow us back into the presence of God. Amen? And guess what happens the moment he dies? For those who don't know the end, he comes back. But when he dies, there's this curtain in the temple where the most holy place was. And it's about as thick as a phone book. And he couldn't go in there unless you're the high priest. It rips in half. As if to say two things. We can now enter the most holiest place. And I like the other one as well. The Holy Spirit's out. It's not confined to a room. It's not confined to a box. It's not confined to the temple. It's out. It's out and it's working in people even before we get to them. The presence of the God can be found in all his creation. Christians need to just point to it. And need to say, there it is. That's what the Holy Spirit looks like. That's what the presence of God looks like. That's those questions within you. That's that void within you calling you back to the Creator. We no longer need to hide in a room. The Holy Presence is sitting at your work, at your residency, wherever you spend Monday to Friday. It's also at work there. We just need to be aware of it. Or acknowledge it. 40 days later, my last story out of the Bible, and then we'll bring this to an end. 40 days later, which is actually about this weekend or next weekend, in between this week, is this celebration of Pentecost. 40 days later, they're sitting, and so Jesus goes and he says, Actually, it's better if I'm not here because, well, he knows. A million of him is much better than one. And so if the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, sits with people, they'll change the world and have been doing so (laughs) since that point. He says, wait for it. And it's going to physically reveal itself in 40 days. And so let me read what happens. Acts 2, 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Not literal tongues, what looked like tongues of fire. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't know if any of you know the story of Babylon. I won't go fully into it, but there's this story early on where the people work against God and he confuses languages. I love this. I heard one theologian call it, it's reverse Babylon. The spirit is there now. They're building something in God's name. And so rather than confusing the languages, he lets everybody there hear it in their language. The birth of the church was birthed around the living water. The roots soaked in the presence of God. If we try to do this without that, we're like a tree that's ready to topple over. God, through the whole of time, has been pursuing the presence of God in your life. I picture it like this. At the moment, my middle child, Belle, she does this thing, it's really annoying, but it's a beautiful picture. They know, Ari and Belle, they can't get out of bed unless they're going to the toilet. So whenever they want to get out of bed, we hear this little voice, squeak, I need to go toilet. That's the sixth time you've been to the toilet tonight, Belle, go to bed. They know it's the loophole. Now, Belle, 5 a.m. in the morning, we thought the cold would stop her at the moment. We hear this little, little feet down the hallway and she goes to the toilet at 5, 5.30 and she waits outside the toilet door because the toilet door is next to Aria's bedroom and they have a little conference there at 5.30 in the morning and we're not very joyful about it that's another story Belle can't wait every morning to see her big sister she lives for Aria she can't wait the first thing in her mind when she wakes up is what's Aria doing I want to see Aria I love Aria I want to look like, well, she can't help it genetically. She looks like Aria, so she's blessed that way. They look like each other. But she's like, I want to do everything Aria does. I'm not comparing God to a four-year-old. I'm not trying to belittle him. But please understand the image that every morning you wake up, God is there at your door going, do you know I want to be present in your life today? Do you know that even in the mundane administration office work you might have to do in your day? Do you know even in the hard conversations? Do you know even in the coffee with the old friend? Do you know even in the walk you'll take today? In the hard labour, in the building houses, in the plumbing, in the electrical work, in the rest, in the reading, in the really annoying bad days that you just wish were finished because you can't wait for tomorrow. I want to be there. In fact, I gave my life to be there the entire history of humankind. Our whole calendar is based around this before Christ came and was present with us. I want to spend the day with you, church. That's what God is saying. Please just acknowledge me. Stop trying to do this in your own strength and spend the day with me. Have breakfast with me. Have your morning coffee with me. I want to be present in your life. We're going to take communion and we're going to remember. This is why I saved it to the end. Because we're going to remember what Christ did to make his presence available to you. 
we're going to take communion and then we're going to hold it for a moment and I'm going to pray. I think it's Tim Keller says, Christians that have been around a church for a long time, I worked out that I've roughly heard 1,700 sermons in my life. You can become desensitized to this. You can become, Tim Keller says, you can become desensitized to the holy. You're like, here he goes again. This is the communion part. I've heard this. I'm going to pray that we're not desensitized to the holy in our life. That we're hearing this like we're the first time this morning that God wants to be present in our life. That as we go on as a church and we talk about what we produce, what we do, that our roots, church, are deep within the presence of God, in his power. So I'm going to ask our volunteers to come forward. We're going to distribute the emblems. Yes, we'll drink together, but please hold. Actually, take the bread and they're going to spend a moment praying and then we'll drink together. But let's just spend a moment realizing that God is at the door, like Annabelle, wanting to be present in your life. As the last um, emblems are just going out, we won't drink just yet. Let me, let me pray for a moment. And remember not just what Jesus did, but what it means right now. If you want to bow your head with me for a moment. Father God, I just, I just thank you for the cross. I thank you for that, that void, that longing, that, that, that longing to be back in the garden in a spiritual sense, Lord, that you have relentlessly pursued us. That from the moment we broke relationship, from the moment we broke the covenant, you have wanted to be a part of our lives. You wanted to stir in our lives. You want to see us gather, grow and go, Lord. Whether it's through Abraham calling his family, and then calling each generation, whether it's through Moses rescuing them from oppression and starting a nation, whether it was in that nation and providing a king, whether it was walking amongst us as a human and then dying for us. 
and it was as it was the pouring out of your spirit and the birth of this thing called the church, the body of believers. Father, I pray that we don't become desensitised to this this morning. I know there's a ton of information. I know we've read a lot of passages, Lord, this morning. I know we've been in here for a bit, but I just pray, cut into that and let us know your spirit. Cut into that and let us know your presence afresh this morning. Let it sit on us tangibly. Let it stir within us. And let us be reminded that it's there waiting for us tomorrow morning at 5am, even earlier. In Jesus Christ's name, amen, amen, amen.